All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. In our episode today, we're going to get to the four core pillars, or at least start getting to those pillars um, that we have designed and developed Mission 300 over, these pillars of identity, strength, courage, and influence. And I know a lot of you who've been listening for a while are familiar with these four pillars, but we have a lot of new listeners that might not be familiar and maybe haven't gone back in the archives of the podcast far enough to really really uh, see what we mean by these cores, what we mean by identity, strength, courage, and influence. So what we want to do over the next few episodes is take a more in-depth look at each of these four things and really establish a foundation because this is what we have built the whole Mission 300 program on. And this is truly what day-to-day life is built on for all of us, a lot of times, whether we realize it or not. So uh, today we wanted to start with identity and Brian wanted to kick us off in a very specific spot here. So here we go. So in this, rather than going through the very specific definition of what identity is, how it works, we'll, we'll flow through that. You could go back to the very first podcast and kind of look through the actual detailed definitions that we did. But this is how do we put this into application that we can develop these principles that we can face everyday life? How does it affect everyday life? And I think this is where it becomes groundbreaking. And it's how we do our program of uh, helping young men or whoever that's adopting the program. How do you establish what you are so you can go face life regardless of how life is thrown at you? And so with that, I thought it'd be good to revisit the first chapter of the book of Daniel and to look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the perspective of not what they went on to do, but what were they, how did their character get to the place they were right in that first chapter? And so let's, I'd like to visit that and kind of look at some of their decisions that they made in the very first chapter and then try to re-engineer, back re-engineer and uh, tie in some of our other thought processes of what helped make them what they are. So first of all, the back backstory is Babylon has now come in, they've taken Jerusalem, and now the king wanted to find the wise men and of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of their nobles um, who could and their young men who could come in and help learn the wisdom, learn, learn the understanding, and kind of be leaders and uh to help direct the nation, which is very profound. I thought that was very interesting that that's the king knew I needed to take their wise men to make our country, our, our kingdom even stronger. And when he goes in, he's looking for um, men without blemish, young men, um, strong, uh, capable, and he finds Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's something to note. Those weren't the only four that came in. Those are the only four that we hear about because they're the only four that stood and did something that began changing the kingdom to such a degree. They're the reason Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in God and became a tool of God versus a tool of his own purpose. And I think this is very profound and their actions saved the lives of so many of the Jewish people. So I, I think this is a good framework. So this is the backstory, and here they come in, and they came to a point where they had to be sat down by the chief of the eunuchs, uh, who they had grown f- in favor with, um, which is a whole separate conversation that 
He's the chief of the eunuchs, so what does that make Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? But in that, they're supposed to eat a certain food and of the king's table that he was going to prepare for them and uh, over time to develop them and strengthen them into the ways of the kings. They were given the king's names of the gods, of the Chaldeans. Uh, everything was reshaped about them to prepare them and train them to fit the king's roles um, as wise men and advisors in the kingdom. But Daniel, in verse 8, says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I don't want to focus on, you know, we have all these different little niceties like the Daniel fast and the bowl of fruit and or vegetable soup and this is the king's thing. I think we're missing the whole entire point with the story. The story is there's something within what the king was having him to do that Daniel could not defile himself and do, period. So there was within his character, there hit a line like, I know I'm pretty much a slave of this. I don't really have a choice, and I'm not here to cause a problem, but I will not defile myself with that food. So rather than putting this hard argument, he goes and he asks the chief who he had favor with, says, I want to ask you, I can't defile myself. Give us 10 days of eating what we eat, and then you be the judge. And I thought it was very interesting. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not going to defile themselves. However, their mannerism of dealing with this was to invoke the favor of the, of the chief, right? So he actually worked with them to come, and then obviously after 10 days, they looked livelier and more fresher and everything. So therefore, they were able to have the run of the mill how they were going to handle things. And I think all of those dynamics come into play that it wasn't, I'm going to resist, I'm not going to do what you have, want me to do. It's, I can't defile myself, but I'm going to actually be better if you let me see this through. And I'm going to show you. And it actually became better for that chief because if these young men became stronger and more wise and or more healthy looking, he's going to get more favor with the king as well. So it actually had a positive effect all the way through, but it started out as this conviction. And that is the point that I wanted to get to with identity should leave you when you know what you are, that there's a conviction you're just not willing to bend, but you're not doing it as an obstinate. You're doing it in a manner of this is what I am. And so I wanted to add that little flair. So with that, tell me your thoughts when you guys were going through the story. What were you seeing? and what you know about identity and our, our pillars, how would you re reverse engineer how these young men came to the place that they were? I think what's interesting to note to start is if we're starting from the end essentially of this and working our way back, I think him asking the chieftain, or not chieftain, chief, about not eating the foods, it's interesting because I think like, you know, he knew in himself he wasn't going to either way, but he had like the kindness of a heart and he was strong enough as in, in his identity to not be like defiant, like, no, I'm not going to do this. He still worked within the bounds of what they were doing to be like, hey, like, 
it was almost like he was favoring the chief because he was saying he was asking for permission to not do it. And he wasn't favoring himself by being like, this is my conviction. I'm defiant. You're not going to make me do this. Because what's interesting is if you think about it, like he would have actually lost favor in that situation because the chief would have probably thought if this guy is not willing to do this, like he's just going to be rebellious in everything he does. That would be my thought process if I was doing somebody like that. So how can I give them favor to do anything? But I think like his approach was soft and gentle, but I think it was so firm because it was within himself. So he didn't feel this need to be like, so defiant because that almost gives off weakness i think because you're like trying so hard to fight for what you want instead of just saying hey like you're in the position of power and i'm going to honor you while i do this but will you allow me to do this and i think like you know you could say like oh what if he said no but i think that's not what matters here it's the fact that he actually honored him and showed favor to the chief which is probably why the chief had favor for him and like he didn't let his answer affect his identity he was like like just let me try this and it was like from the strength of his identity that he was able to do that so i think that's an interesting spot to start of like what what was in him that he was like i don't feel the need to defend myself in some outrageous manner like i can simply ask and he had the confidence to ask and it worked out in the end too anyways i want to add something to something you just said that i never seen that before and i think you said it earlier when you're describing this it's it's almost that daniel was offering grace to the chief as if he was in the position Mm -hmm. of strength and i thought that is a very interesting thing that when someone knows what they are even though they're the one who's the subject they seem to carry themselves in the way that they're actually the one leading the group. We can see that with Paul when he's on the ships in prison. We can see that with Joseph. We can see that in all these different examples. That's really profound. The other thing you, you, you brought up that I didn't see before is that in his resistance, he offered a solution that would be more beneficial that would actually protect versus just being against. Yeah, I am thinking about it. Like, I think oftentimes people will give away that they're not as confident in their identity or confident in something when they try to like speak loud or aggressively because they're trying to make up for what's lacking actually internally by trying to be aggressive and like demanding things and all this. But I think it's like it speaks a lot to his inner strength and identity of like him being able. I almost see it like he's asking quietly because he's not like making a point in front of everybody else. Like I'm defying you. And I think like sometimes that's what I want to do or, you know, human nature. Like it's like we want to like show like we're dominant in the situation. But it's pretty clear that he had like the strength and fortitude in his own identity to not just like try and be rebellious against a higher authority. He actually was like, I'm willing to work with you on this. And I think that's also, there was probably lots of instances before that too, because I'm sure there's other convictions that he had that when he like addressed them, the chief 
was like willing to work with him because of how he honored him in while doing that. Mm. It is interesting. I feel like you see people take one extreme or the other when something like this comes up. It's either the extreme of I am setting myself in defiance against your new rule for me, or they're so timid that they just kind of give up whatever belief they hold and like, well, okay, I guess I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be offensive. Instead of what we see here, which is this firm, unmovable belief that Daniel sets and he has in his heart, like I cannot and will not do this, but he doesn't set that as if he's throwing it in someone else's face. It's just standing there. And then when something comes against that, it just remains firm. Like, well, I can't do this. So now what, now what do we do? Because there's this new thing coming against my belief and I can't give into it. So now what do we do? Well, here's a solution. Let's, let's do this. Instead of the moment that conflict happens, there's a fight and a battle and someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. It's really interesting that how to see how that plays out where you don't have to be so emotionally charged one way or the other. It's just this concrete thing. Well, I can't move on this. So now what do we do? Our convictions have absolutes and our truth, like, or what the truth is, has absolutes. But you could say like our reactions or how we handle it does not have to be an absolute. Like, not to like say like you should compromise, but you don't have to approach it in the same way as like, it's either this or it's this, and I'm going to stand my ground tough unless you, yes, is there situations you probably have to do that, but like here, he's not like, it's going to be my way or whatever. He's just offering a solution. It's interesting too, that these young men were known uh, verse 17, it says that these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So they, they, the, they had two different roles. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they had been, that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among all, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magi magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. This is really a powerful little statement here, is here they just stood in a conviction. Like, like everything you just described, Caleb, I'm not, I'm not going to add to that because that was well done. They, they stood in a conviction handled it in a manner wisely. It not only produced favor for the chief of the eunuchs, but it revealed their wisdom, knowledge, and insight into the world. And it was so favorable that the king made him their per his personal people. The, the, they became the leaders over the nation. So in a decision that would cost you something that most people would think, well, just go along. They didn't, and that actually made them the rulers over the kingdom. Again, I, I think that is a powerful point that your identity, even though it looks like it's being compromised, if we don't let it, but we have a forward-looking thinking of how to deal with things, it will put us in positions of great influence, which identity, discover your strengths, utilize them, 
You have the courage to walk it out, and influence happens. So those are the four pillars being revealed. So how do we go back and develop that in people around us? How do we redevelop that in us when it's lacking? Well, what would you guys say is the reason for this identity that we're seeing in Daniel and the other three? And I know try to be try to not be cliche and just say God. Because keep in mind, I, I'm convinced there was other God followers that came out of Jerusalem. Because it was only it was more than four people of all the nobles, of all the king's family, of all that. You're talking about hundreds of people probably that are brought in. Why these four so significant? One thing that specifically stood out to me um looking at the story was how they came into Babylon and it would be so easy to just let Babylon now define who you are. And I think that is key to this part is that they don't let that happen. They don't let themselves be defined by the culture or the circumstances or whatever is around them that they, they already have this foundation laid in them before this happens. And so I think, to me, that's interesting because, like, you, when I was younger, I, I often let the situations or whatever area I'm in define who I became. But once I, like, you, you start to understand that who you are doesn't change no matter the circumstances or no matter what, it's way way easier to operate in a world like that because you're 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 yourself you're who you are and i think that's my takeaway at least from the beginning here is just seeing how they babylon tried to define them but they didn't let that happen so so let me ask this and i don't want to go on a big bunny trail with this but i think it's very important that we address this how or what what is the difference between that truth we shouldn't be divined by our surroundings or the culture where you're at how do we differentiate that truth from the concepts that we see in the bible of relate to all people paul says i became all things to all people so that i might win more to christ how do we differentiate that because i i've you know, personally experienced um, growing up where that line gets really blurry and then you don't know when you've crossed it. The reason I bring that up is because I've seen that turn into, well, now I'm kind of relating to my surroundings. But and so that means in this case, partake of the king's delicacies because you're trying to relate to your surroundings. That means maybe you have an opinion on this. You should hold that in because you need to relate to your surroundings. I guess I would question whether what is the point of you relating to the culture? Is it so that you can relate to others or is it so that you don't have to deal with the adversity that might happen if you disobey? Okay, explain the difference like, between it, the two things. This is such a hard line to draw and it's <laughs> it's like, man, this is really heavy in college too because it's like, man, you deal with stuff on a daily basis that's like, this impacts my future, like going out to a bar with friends. Is that compromising in my integrity of 
being a Christian man of God? Or is that being around friends and hanging around friends and trying to bring joy to friends who maybe don't have a lot of joy right now? And I think that for me, it's very difficult because it's like, where is the cut dry? This is wrong. This is right. And where is, you know, it's the motive behind what you do. And I don't know if this makes any sense. I'm I'm thinking out loud here of just like what this means. But I think this this really matters a lot because it matters what we do and how we live. Let me ask a question because I think something just stood out when you guys were talking that I should be highlighted. What was Daniel's gift? What was he skilled at? It's in verse 17. For the listeners, I'll give you a little hint. He had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel, much like Joseph, much like the prophets, much like Jesus, saw the future differently. So their actions today were affecting what they could see in the future. It was no different than Abraham having to learn to see one day you'll be the father of many nations and you'll go out, go camp, count the sand on the sea, go count the stars in the sky. That's what it's going to be. So even though he had a, he had some rough patches in there, he navigated from that realm. Could it be that we struggle with these decisions of conforming because we don't have anything beyond right now? We can't, we don't have anything bigger than a very short term view of our main role in this world. What's happening? What's, What's going on? What's the end result? What's the kingdom of God trying to do? If that was a conviction, would that guide how you're making decisions in each one of these moments? Just a question. But most of the time we make decisions based on our limited view. So we have a conviction, but we don't have a view beyond that conviction. Like, don't do this, but like, okay, what do we do? Where do we go? Where does the nav- Where's the path still going? Because we're still moving. How-, how do we navigate to where we're created to go? Well, I don't know what I am. It's just whatever. And then we come up with those cliches of the sovereignty of God and he's just doing something and we're just in this little, this little group and we're just going along and now we're just trying to not do right. And then we have to sit and rewrite the old Testament, make Samson a bad guy, Gideon a bad guy, all the judges a bad guy. And they're just a bunch of problems because they didn't have what we know, but they didn't live from a resisting point. They lived on a forward motion. This is where I'm going. So they navigated differently. Could it be, because you could make the argument with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel that they compromised. Why are they supporting this king? Why aren't they forming a rebellion? They just got conquered. Why aren't they trying to internally plot to destroy this kingdom? Because Daniel saw this kingdom was set up by God for something bigger for long term. He saw that. So he wasn't compromising. He was in the vein. And you'll see a lot along the way. It wasn't an easy journey, even when he knew he was supposed to. But we're not, I think we, we don't know how to see beyond. We don't know what our name actually means, what we're, our purpose is, so we're still looking for our name. And I think that blends into this. Can, can we emphasize that a little bit more? Um, and, and, and then I want to get back to the identity aspect, because there's, but the, the fact that they were, a lot of people would say aiding and abetting the enemy. They're interpreting dreams. They're they're giving their wisdom over to this king, this nation that just conquered them. So in one sense, 
they're kind of traitors. Some people could say, you know, it'd be better to just not not help out, not interpret dreams and just be killed. But that's kind of a, a whole different bunny trail. But but um, I'm glad you bring that up because the whole point of this, as we kind of alluded to in the beginning, we're not we're not trying to look at the story from okay, they refused the king's delicacies, the the whatever it was. So what's what's my king's delicacies that's in front of me now that I need to stand against? That's not the point of this. And that's kind of a shallow view of, of the story. The point is, how does someone develop the identity that is so strong that you know when to stand for things and when to not stand for things and how to do that when the time comes? Not, not a shallow view of, well, in 2021, what is the king's delicacies that's in front of you? I mean, that's a, a good question to ask, sure, but that's not the point here. The point is how to get to that core identity, and you touched on names, and I think, Caleb, you you had looked at the the meanings of all their names, haven't you? Yeah, it was really interesting to me because when we were, like, getting ready for this podcast, I was like, okay, what's the history of, like, Daniel when he was in Israel and all that, and uh, I didn't do enough research or anything like that, and I don't, I'm not sure if anybody knows more but one of the things that came up was his name and his name means god is my judge and so i just started thinking about that and it's interesting what you said earlier brian like about like thinking about the future and everything and when i saw his name i was just like you know in that that is caleb's new puppy playing with the ball for all of you listeners Squeaky <laughs> toy. Hold on. We're gonna take a momentary pause. Squeaky toy is taken care of. So yeah, and so his name is God is my judge. And I was thinking about that, and I was even thinking about um when Peter and the other disciples say we must obey God rather than man. And I think it's like that's what his name means. It's like, in the end, who will be the judge of my actions? Will it be the king? Will it be the chief? Will it be the other men around me? Or will it be God? And not like in a sense of like fear, like, oh no, if I mess up and do the wrong thing, like God's going to judge me. I think it's more like I have a responsibility to higher values and something bigger than just the temporary things right now. Like in the end, what matters? God. And I think like, in our like Western ideas, it's like God is our judge. It's like we're going to court to like see what we did wrong and right. But I think it has a deeper meaning than that. And it's like in the end, like we're not accountable to all those people. And you know, what we did isn't gonna matter to them. It's gonna matter to us and God. And like, do we wanna look back? I, let me let me, I do want to throw one one throat. It does matter to the people around us. Mm. because the, the lives of people that were spared and how the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar actually converting to becoming a believer in God came because of these actions. So even though God's a judge and it's personal, those decisions are radically affecting many things in the chain of events. thought I'd just throw that out there. Would it, would it be accurate to yeah. say the, the decisions do massively affect other people but the other people cannot be the determination for the decision that yeah i well, think it, by saying like people like the decision won't matter to other people 
like your like your decision will affect them but like what you did isn't going to be like the determining like it will affect them but to them they're not going to care in the end what happened to you like they're gonna it'll be personal for them too so i think that's what i meant to clarify okay but yeah so i think that that just really stuck out to me with god is my judge and another thing i noticed was that he like came from a royal family so i think it's like also like what's his family history what's his identity like his family gave him that name and saying god is my judge and it's like for us today what family are we in we're in the family of god like we're the children of god so what what name is god giving us now that's like giving us our identity and i think tommy was going to bring that up is like what does our name mean to us now not necessarily like our actual name but what does our identity mean to us that like is affecting our actions and how do we like discover what that means for us what were the three definitions for hananiah mishael and azariah hananiah was mercy and grace or jehovah is gracious mishael means who belongs to god and azariah means jehovah helps so think about those four names and how it determined all their actions throughout that whole book. They actually lived from their names. Their, how they got spots and favor with the king and favor with the chief of eunuchs was the grace and, and mercy of God, right? You have, they're stuck in a situation, thrown in the fiery furnace, and we don't have to answer about that. Our God will. God help. And then at the end of the day, you have all four of them that have this label that Nebuchadnezzar says about them. They have an excellent spirit and God is with them. They could be seen as God is with them. They were known and they, their, their whole nature was God's with you. God's with you. So I think about their name. They just live from their name and it, 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 it's like it, it all unpacked in their story, which I think is really profound. That is great. I'm glad they know their names, but how do I figure out my own name? Great question. Sure, it's Tommy. <laughs> Great question. Is is it a name from your parents? Is it a name from God? How how do we I feel like in America do our names really mean that much about us? I don't know why you asked that, Sky Dancer. Okay, so let's let's look at this for a moment. This is a great question. So I do think if a parent's thoughtful, but the reality is most of the time we just find what's the trendiest name that's going to sound the coolest, which in a weird irony, we're actually training our names to fit to conformity of what's going to be the trend. Isn't that a strange irony about a generation that's grown up that don't know who they are? They're not named after a family member. They're not named after most of the time it's most names are given because it's the trendy name of that time period. There's books on this. But it's not thoughtful that that name's going to mean something. They're really naming them so they could fit in later in life so they don't have a weird, goofy name when they're going to school. Well, and at times, it's the opposite of that. So in my experience, and this is coming from someone who for years, I worked at a um, a Christmas store that specialized in personalized ornaments. 
which means we would write people's names on the ornaments. And it was it was the largest one in the Midwest. Um, I got to work there for years. Great, great, great time. And we would always have a contest every year between the different stores to see which store got the weirdest name. And I will tell you what, I was always shocked at how weird people would make their kids' names. From every every background you can imagine, people would just get so weird with the spelling or the pronunciation or, oh, this is, it's heaven spelled backwards. And that's why we, it's, there's so many weird things that people would do. And I would actually ask people quite often, just out of curiosity. And I kind of did this as a, as a bit of an experiment for a while. Oh, do you know what that name means? 99% of the time, no one had a clue. Even, even for common names, no one had any clue what the name meant. Um, occasionally it would be someone who was named after a relative, but very rarely. And so at least in, in my limited experience, people have no clue why they're choosing names other than, like you said, it's popular or it sounds cool, or I think they'll fit in, or it's so unique and weird. No one else will have that. And that's how my kid's going to stand out when they grow up. Now ponder that from biblical history or ancient history. I mean, there is a reason that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to rename Shadrach, Meshach, or they became, they went from Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they wanted that, and Daniel became Belshazzar. They wanted them to have Babylonian names to connect with their gods. So the names were critical. Why not just leave it alone? Like, who cares? No, they wanted them identified into that group. Your name is your identity. So think about a passport, think about anything you do, think about travel, think about filling out a document. You have a last name. In Western culture, you have a last name that connects to the family that you're from. Then you have a first name, which connects to the individual that you are within that family. So even when you read the Old Testament, you'll see like uh, Elijah was the Tishbite. So Elijah was his first name, quote unquote. The Tishbite was the family that he came from. So that was the tribe, that was the group, that was the his his rooting. But that's his individualness within that family. So we all carry the last name. If you're born of God, you're carrying Jesus' name. So you're you're married, you're adopted, your birth last name is tied to Jesus' name. Well, that's why that we family. pray in Jesus' name. Yes. It's not, and you don't say it more emphatically to get more results. It's just what you are in Jesus' name. Our individual characteristics of that, which is very important, that's what defines our role and purpose within that kingdom. So Paul, God never really changed his name, Paul, to Saul. We just see kind of that transition in Scripture that he goes from Saul to Paul. But it was changed. I think there was something distinguished that when we're reading, we're not thinking of Saul anymore. We're thinking of Paul, this new person, versus Saul, the old person. But the distinguishing thing that he had was he knew what God called him to do based on the revelation that was given to him. And so from that point, he lived that. And I think that's why he could endure everything that he could do. He could stand to opposition. He could be, at times, 
be of a Roman, be a Jew, but yet not compromise. He could flow in and he could stand against and he could do that because he knew what he was. So maybe then in our definition that we're not saying, what is our new name that we could write on a piece of paper? Maybe the definition needs to come in your relationship. God, who do you see that I am? And he will begin speaking to you and you're going to have to write it down because you're not going to believe it. And then you start taking that in and you'll find, just say, show me in scripture this. And he'll start aligning things for you. It's called a relationship, right? Kid doesn't know it. My, my son thought his, his name was Butters for a long time. Because I kept calling him Butters, but his name is David. By the way, his nickname and all of his fun stuff he does is still Butters. But anyway, he didn't know what his name was. But with our kids, we actually were very definitive when we were praying about naming our kids. Why are we naming them that? How does it tie? So when they asked them why we named them that, we could tell them this was the story of why we named you that, and this is what we saw when we were picking the name. So we, I guess we kind of knew in advance this, this thought process. It doesn't really answer your question, though. How do I know my name? But is that maybe why it's it's such a difficult thing? Because... We can look at, okay, everyone, everyone as a believer, you carry the name of Christ as your family name. But then, like you said, there's characteristics that you as an individual will grow in or exhibit more or less. And that's such a unique individual process that there's not a generic mass-produced answer for that. That can only come through the development of the relationship with the Father. Mm. I think the funniest thing about this whole thing you just went through. Well, what do you think your name is? And it's like, hmm. Maybe it's not up for you to know the process of how you find your name. But I think through what you guys were talking about, it's it's about <clears throat> finding God and having God define who you are. And I think it's exactly what you're saying is you have to like, you have to go with God and you have to hear what he calls you. And like you said, you're not going to believe it because it's, it's just, it's not natural to us. And I, I just, I found that so ironic is that you, you were talking and you said, well, what do you think your name? Like, how do you, how do you think? And it's like, that's it. <laughs> Well, that's really profound. So, and, and we've said this before, you never know who you are until you know who your father is. There is no shortcut to bypass. The power of your name is going to be tied to the one who gave you the name. So you could be called anything. I, I mean, I can name, there's quite a few uh, Jesuses out there, but it doesn't make them saviors of the world. If they don't know the one who gave them the name and the reason behind the name. Does that make sense? The not that there is more saviors in the world. You you got what I'm saying, though. It's like, there's a lot of people named Jesus. Well, that's Jesus. Well, and there's a lot of people named Joseph. But because he knew who he was from, so in that journey of being named by Joseph, he's he's being named this. And now, as he goes through Scripture and he grows up, he begins seeing who these characters are. So now he looks in history and he sees Joseph and he sees himself. Now he looks in, is in history and he sees a judge and he sees himself. Now he looks in history and he sees 
um, all the characters of old that were walking in the Spirit of God, and he sees himself. So now that name has more depth because it has a long-term goal. The name has a long-term goal. And so now he's living his life through what he is and who it is that named him. And now he's functioning in life. And we are designed to do that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel did that. But someone else was always trying to define him, which I thought was a, a point that one of you brought up earlier on. Well, do, does that also um, explain or give some context to in Hebrews where it says, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race, because you're designed to look at these people and see yourself in them. You're, you're designed to see the courage of someone like Joshua and realize that is in you as well. In the same way, you would negatively, in a sense, if your dad was an alcoholic. Well, I guess that's in my history. His dad was an alcoholic, and his dad before him was an alcoholic. But it's only and so maybe part of the problem of being such a uh, having family and history so removed from sometimes our our lives in Western world is we we're so individualistic, but then we have no history to draw from, so we don't know who we are which is a huge cultural problem. We have no idea what we are. We're trying to rename everything, and we want to remove all history. Again, if we had a deep belief in our Father and who we are, even when you're making decisions how culture should flow, you have a reason why you don't want it to go a certain way. You're not fighting for things just for the simple fact that it's disrupting what you think is the norm or what's abnormal. You're knowing the motive behind why they're trying to disrupt it. Why would the enemy of our soul want to remove history? Because then you don't know what you are. You don't know where you came from. You don't know how to be, and they can redefine you. This is the, our makeup, and psychology has shown it. They can help redefine you. They can, your deep soul knows something's wrong, but you'll just adapt to it and you'll become something different. Even God said that there comes a point, he gave them over to a debased mind. They, they became worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Like you can change, you can, you can twist this creation into something else, but if we're with him, now we have reason for this. And there's a bigger plan. There's a long-term goal with our decisions versus a short-term resistance. What's interesting, too, with that is I heard, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was Jordan Peterson. He said um, his definition of worship was to imitate. So it's interesting what you're saying with, like, the creatures are, like, like what we worship is what we're imitating. So when you don't know like the story of Jesus to worship him, to imitate him, to take on his characteristics, his name, then what are you going to worship? If you're going to worship something else, that's actually just going to lower you and who you are. So like, even like looking at like the, these characters, like Daniel and all them, we're not worshiping them because ultimately like all their good characteristics are found in Jesus, but we are worshiping Jesus who has like everything we need. So we're imitating him and taking on his name and making it a part of our nature. Just thought that was interesting with what you were saying, Brian. Would you say that's the 
the core thing or the greatest thing that developed the identity in all four of these guys? Because they they knew their names, they knew what that meant, they knew their characteristics. They did not see themselves as well. I guess we're Babylonians now because we've been conquered by the Babylonians. And think about this powerful verse in seventeen: the four young men. God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, which means they knew history, which means they knew how Joseph handled this, which means they knew how Abraham handled this, which means they knew all of those those lines of character of King David, the history of the kings. If they came from a noble family, they truly knew the history of the kings. They had their role and identity was so deep when they're making this decision, they weren't just like, I don't want to do that. It was, there's something way bigger here, and here's where we're going. So they knew the past as well as the future, which is really a profound thought. So maybe one of our problems when we're, when so many of us struggle with, okay, well, what's my history, what's my identity, what is my name, if you want to call it that, is because we, as believers, will look at, well, Jesus, okay, sure, but he was the Son of God, so there's, in some way, it doesn't count. I'm not really like him. Okay, all the the apostles and the disciples in the New Testament, well, they walked with Jesus, so they had an advantage that I I really don't have, so there's a disconnect there. Oh, well, all these heroes in the Old Testament. Oh, well, we've had decades of teaching where all we do is look at their flaws or perceived flaws. So this person in the Old Testament had a problem. This person in the Old Testament had a problem. So we disconnect from them. And then what are we left with? No one and nothing. You have no one to connect with, no one to relate with, so you don't know who you are. We're left with a modern view of how to behave in hoping to make something better with no framework of where we came from. Which is interesting, to deny that we can connect with Jesus and his history is to deny that he came in the flesh, because he was of the seed of David. And we forget the journey that brought forth that seed of David. We forget Rahab the harlot, who believed and became in the lineage of David. We forget Ruth, we forget Naomi, we forget all these weird little dynamics that took place to bring forth this seed, that's our history. That's fighting for something bigger. And I thought it was interesting, even with Rahab the harlot, the reason she was willing to stand up to the king was because she believed in a God that was bigger than the situation, something that was beyond where she was at, and that caused her to make a stand. Little side note. What's interesting, too, is thinking about like what you're saying with Jason, is like, who are we left to imitate now? Who are we left to like follow if we're looking at all the flaws of all these people? Even the Pharisees had a problem with who Jesus was imitating because on the Sabbath, when he healed the man, he said, I'm only doing as my father does. He's imitating God. And they had a problem with that. So like if they had a problem with Jesus doing it, imitating God himself, worshiping God, then like, what do we think is going to happen with us and the world? So it's like interesting, like, even the people who followed the law and everything were like, well, you can't imitate God either because that's causing a problem for us. Well, let me ask you this. Maybe the question isn't, okay, then who is, what is my name right now? How do I find my name so I can do? Maybe the first question is, God, help me to become comfortable imitating who you are. Because then is where you find who your name is within that. 
by the way, we're 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 ignorant to think that we're going to go through and look at the life of a character and all their flaws and and model it since they did that. We're not dealing with perfect born again people. We're th- talking about someone who had the spirit of God leading them into a future beyond what their natural realm was, and they were journeying in that future. And the places the spirit of God was leading—that's what we take on. How they followed God, not necessarily the mistakes they made. You can learn from that but you take on how they followed God because that is where our identity core is, is released. It's interesting too. I love what you said about like finding our name is like how do the first question should be how, like, how do I imitate you? And I think it's like in the Bible, it's always like we exalt the name of God. We exalt the name of Jesus. And there's like a holiness associated with his name, like the commandment, like, do not use my name in vain. It's almost like, like there's identity in his name. And so when we worship his name, that's where our identity has come from. And like, that's like, we're worshiping his identity. We're worshiping who he is. And then that is getting passed on to us because we're imitating that and taking that on. And that's like giving us our name. I mean, think about it. If you're just taking time to prayer and you're just thanking God, God, I just thank you for how merciful you are. I think you're such a merciful God. And, you, and just to say you're in that moment, you're just thanking him for his mercy. If you walk out of that time of worship, and then you want to hold someone accountable for something dumb and not having mercy, generally you're not like that. Like If you're in that mode of mercy, you tend to be merciful to the next thing that happened until you spend time on that, and then it might drift away, and then you go back and you're thankful, and you begin worshiping, and you tend to become like that. You take on that characteristic. Now, the more you do that, there's roles and visions that you discover, I'm called to do this. Now your name has more of a very specific function from that place. In verse 15, after the, the, the 10 days, it was interesting to me that the literal translation says, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men. And by the way, here's where our natural mind goes. Huh, I wonder what specifically they were eating. So that way I can know exactly how to become strong and fat just like them. See, if I eat that thing, then I'll be that. But if I eat this thing, then I'm going to cause a problem. You have missed. Go read, the, go read Paul's view of fighting over these food things. It wasn't about <laughs> the food. It was, but not in this context. It's a, it's a, it was a deeper matter than the nutritional value of the pulse. I want to read this to you. I want to just close on this first. I've been thinking about this all week. Uh, Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. Uh, this is God speaking to the people, but take it personally. It says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And I just find how powerful that is that the things that causes, here you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who know literature or wise in it, most likely have read Isaiah 41. All right? If I'm, if I'm right about the location. So... Anyway, these concepts, because they're written in other places too. It's even written in Deuteronomy about fearing not and Joshua, fear not, all right? 
I am with thee, be not dismayed. In other words, when you come into those situations like, what am I supposed to do? Don't let dismay and confusion come in. And it's like he keeps bringing you back. I'm going to uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I'm righteous, so I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you. I will strengthen you. And it's like forcing you come back to that worship. And if we stay in that imitating what with this, I don't mean like trying to, okay, he said, do this, I did this. I mean like you're worshiping him, and so it's becoming part of you. Then you're when you're in that situation to stand, your first response is, wait a second, he's with me. Wait a second, he said, don't be confused when I'm in these matters. Wait a second, he said, he'll strengthen me. I'm not sure what to do, but I can be confidently stand here because I know he's with me. And I love the names, even in that picture of the book, of God is my judge, God is with me, grace and mercy, God is my help. All of that is in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. So my final thoughts with identity is... You never know who you are till you know who your father is. That needs to be the pursuit. But as you as you study, he'll begin relieve, re, revealing the past. He'll begin revealing the future. And I like what you said, Tommy, about the worship. Or sorry, Caleb, you mentioned the worship and how we're imitating in that place of worship. When we're doing that, we're exonerating him. He's also pouring into us and believing in us and something begins to transition as we function, which is interesting. Daniel would not give up his prayer times. And I don't mean prayer times of just, okay, God, we have this need. God, we, I I think the prayer times were much deeper. It was this interaction with, with who he was and it, it built that foundation point. So back to our identity is once we know where we're from and that becomes the reality we begin shaped into that. But I think we need to be confident to ask, God, tell me more about the future, where you want me to go. How do you see it? You may not have every detail of that, but there's this focal point where you're going that will help you navigate through all this, all the stuff you're going to navigate, how history is going to go and what the world's going to be like in doing that. And I think we become short-sighted and dismayed and that causes a problem. So if we go back to our identity and let God reveal our long-term purpose, it's going to begin to shape how we make a lot of these decisions that we're faced with. Closing thoughts, TC? That's Tommy and Caleb. What I took away from, from what you just said was to tell me more about my future. That I've never really explored deeply. And that's something that is like, that changes how I'm looking at a whole bunch of different decisions right now as I'm getting done wrapping up school. Show me the future and what does this mean to my future? Because I think it's, (laughs) when you understand your identity and you know where where you've come from in your lineage and you know the history, then you need to know what to do. And the only way you can do that is by figuring out where you're supposed to go. And, and always remember all but, these great influencers saw something beyond that moment. But I think the biggest, another, another big thing, I mean, 
just for everyone in general is like you need to know where you came from you need to know who god tells you you are and it needs to come from god it can't come from people it can't come from your situations it can't come from your friends your family it has to come from god one of the practical tools we do with the young men that come through our program who don't know anything about God, that they're it's they're they're at ground zero, but they want something. They, they want it, they want to change. So we do this thing that they start out and we do the process of making your bed, which we have them read the it's in tie of the the admiral who the Navy SEAL Admiral who talks about making your bed. And so they make their bed every day. Got to take a picture of it, and then they start adding a fitness side where they're doing push-ups and sit-ups, and they have a run they have to do, and then they have more reading that they have to do, and then they got to write out what it is that they really want, and then they give us permission to break it down, like peel it back like an onion. Why do you want that? Why do you want that? Why do you want that? And get them down to the real question: what their heart's really desiring after. Um, because if you don't know God and you peel your heart deeply back. It's, I want God. If you know God, it's, God, how can I go and e express you? How can I, I wh where's my next direction? And so we go through this over a five-week period. But at the beginning, we don't tell them what they're going to accomplish because they end up running like 45K, how many thousand push-ups they end up doing. They read two books. They actually train someone else to do this. And they have to make their bed every day. And if I tell them up front what the completion is, they don't want to do it. But if I just say it's a challenge and at the end they get a $100 pair of soccer cleats or shoe, whatever kind of shoe they want, they have $100 they can spend on a pair of shoes. We buy them the shoes and then we give them to them. And the reason the shoes is, is because they can always remember they were one place, but now they've stepped into something else. That's the reason we do the shoes. But only one person gets to win, and there's three people in the competition. And they already know who's going to win, but by halfway through, they keep wanting to go. And it was interesting, at the end of this, one of the best testimonies that we heard, there's a young man in probation, he went through the challenge, he ended up winning the shoes, and he was very quiet, very shy, and in the probation department, no one really knows each other, so they're all don't, they don't want to make a scene. They're, it already stinks that they have to be there to begin with, right? There's a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment. But after this, I asked, does anybody want to come? Do you want anybody want to share how the competition went? And he immediately put his hand up, came up front, spoke in front of the probationers, which is really shocking all by itself. Like, wow, what just happened to you? And I said, what happened? He goes, I quit smoking. And I said, well, that's that's awesome. But that wasn't really requirement for the the situation. Why did that happen? He said, because I became a runner. I never ran before. But I figured out if I'm going to run, I've started liking running. Something was changing because I liked running. But I couldn't smoke and run, so I quit smoking because I really like running, and I didn't know I liked it. And I said, well, that's really powerful. I said, what else happened? He goes, my future is better. And I go, how is it better? He goes, I don't know, but I, I think I have a good future. And I know these are little subtle things. These aren't life. These aren't like the building blocks that's going to hold him for the rest of his life. But it was interesting that once they started doing this and it wasn't about what they did, 
they trusted me to give them instructions to help them. And they did dumb things that they didn't really know, really want to do, but they did them anyway. But it built something in them that they had confidence to do this. And they trusted me in the instructions because that was the deal. It's like each, every three days, you're going to get new instructions. Can you trust me with them? Okay. And so this relationship formed. And I just find it very interesting how much grander is our relationship with God. Like this, this isn't even comparable. Just a little tactic we do to get them going. But how much grander is God doing with us as our Father? The point was, oh, he made a strong stance against something that was he needed to stand against that he could never stand against before because he discovered something more about himself. That's big. I think my biggest takeaway from this that I want to keep looking to is Tommy's question of like, what, what is my name? Cause I think it's like such a huge part of the story of Daniel. Cause they even tried to change his name, like changing his identity and like, how does our name connect with the name of God? And I think like what I pulled from that is it's like, like our name is his characteristics. Like that's what their names are. Like, Daniel, all of them, it's like different characteristics of God that they had imprinted on them. And even like, that's like throughout the whole Bible, every single character who has a name from God, it's like a characteristic that he like puts on them, or it's like a strength he puts in them, like Abraham being the father of many nations. And it's like, even if like, it doesn't make sense to other people, like, because how is Abraham the father of many, many nations or like like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the moment when they're about to be thrown in the fire, one of them being named, um, like God is my helper, Jehovah, like the helper. It's like in that moment, like his name, like became a reality. And so I think like, I just want to look into that further of like the significance of names, how we worship like the name of God and exalt his name. And then like that hit, like his image is imprinted on us. Cause even God like named Adam and Eve from the start, God gave men and women names so i think like even if our names in society don't have significance like what is god calling us what is god naming us like internally and it doesn't matter what our external name is or what other people call us because like if we worship his name what is he calling us in return and like i think that sets up our future too because it's like it gives us the strength to carry on the future because it's part of our identity. Like we've been talking about of like, like who are we, where are we going? Like, what's the bigger story here? And I think our name is like a really good thing we brought up today. Honestly, I'm going to read into it a lot more and stuff. So with that, I think next in the next episode, we're going to kind of do a part two with identity, but we're going to focus on names a bit because there is, there's a lot, like you guys were saying, there is a lot more depth to that than I think any of us realized or most people realized growing up, at least in our culture and everything. But um, I want to leave it on this thought because one of the things that's just stood out to me is when we're facing situations and we're wavering on something, we mentioned this a little bit earlier in the episode, the wavering is because there's something about your identity that is uncertain in the situation. But what if as a Christian, you actually believe the truth that heroes like Samson, Esther, and countless other ones in the Bible and champions, including Jesus, those people, you actually started to see 
the identity come alive in you that they had, and you start to see your individual characteristics flow in that identity. I would wager to say things would drastically change if that's something that we actually started to see and believe as Christians. And sometimes that means letting go of a a slavery mindset of passivity and doing whatever you're told, even if it's kind of wrong to do. And sometimes that means letting go of a rebellious mindset because you just want to fight against other people just for the sake of fighting. So it can mean a lot of different things, but at least for me personally, when I started to understand and believe that history and see that identity in me, everything started to change. And so we appreciate you guys listening in and sharing your thoughts and the stuff that you've gone through and realized in this journey of identity. And again, uh, in the next episode, we're going to continue this conversation. So until then, keep the faith and stay in the fight.